Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. This is Abdul Nasser Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us Jazakumullahu khairan wassalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuhu. So we are uh, at the last, the last story. Each story has its own like amazing set of lessons and reflections. And again, I just want to clarify very, very clearly without any shadow of a doubt that what we read here and what we talk about here are reflections of the speech of God, the unimitable speech of God, meaning that this is not something that is definitive. Like when I say like, oh, this verse, when, it, when this verse tells us this, like one thing I think about is this, that's not where the reflection stops, okay? The goal of heart work, just to kind of reorient everybody, is that I am not the end-all be-all for knowledge of Islam or Quranic understanding. My job, or what I hope to accomplish, is to demonstrate how I reflect on Quran using things like tafsir and things like that. But regardless, everyone in this room has the ability and the capacity to open up the Quran and to read and reflect. That doesn't mean that a person can like establish rulings and like legal guidelines, but you know, like khidr, you know, obviously you're like, I have to go destroy boats now. Uh, that's not what you would do, right? But to reflect on the message, that's, that's, there are layers to Quranic understanding and some layers do require training, right? But there is the initial layer, the surface that everyone, even regardless if they're Muslim or not, should be able to read this message and derive benefit from it. That's for everybody. And so I don't want Monday just to become like this thing where we show up and we're like, oh, that's what the Quran is saying, because that's not. I'm just one of many, many people who read and deliver to you the message of what I've learned and what I'm reading, and I want you guys to be able to replicate this on your own. Go home, open the Mus'haf, read, reflect, and think about what Allah is saying and how it applies to you uh, in your situation, right? Inshallah. Okay, so ayah number 83. So we finished the story of Musa and Khidr, where, what was the summary of it? Who can remind us? Who's Khidr? Oh. You're like, don't say, don't say his name, you might show up. No, uh, who's Khidr? Who was Khidr in the story? Yeah. Yeah, very good. So he was Musa, Prophet Musa's teacher. So Khidr was the teacher of Musa that was anointed by God to fulfill this purpose of teaching him. So Musa, when he sought out and asked Allah, what is, who is the most knowledgeable or who is the most beloved in terms of knowledge? God responded that the one who is most beloved in terms of knowledge is the one who seeks knowledge, even though they already possess some, they seek it from others. Khidr then was that person. He says, is there anyone like that? 
Allah responded and said, yes, there is a person, his name is Khidr, and we gave him knowledge. And then Musa said, where do I find him? And he went on this journey and he found Khidr. And he said to Khidr, what? Can you teach me? Teach me things that I don't know. I'm a prophet and I know certain things, but I want to know what God has given to you, right? God told me that he bestowed you with certain knowledge and I want to know those things. So Khidr told him what? No. <laughs> Very good. No. Khidr said, no, it's not going to happen. And Musa said, why? He goes, because you won't be able to handle it. You won't be able to handle it. The knowledge that I have, that God has given me, is something that is really, really difficult to carry. It's difficult to hold on to. And we found out why. Because when eventually Musa promises and he says, I will be able to handle it, I'll be patient, we find out that in every instance, there were three moments, Musa was not able to keep his promise of holding his his question of why Khidr was doing something. So Khidr did three things. The first was, right, he like chopped at a boat, okay? He took an axe or he, and he chopped at a boat. He damaged a boat. The next one was? No. Yeah, we kind of all blocked that one out, right? He took the life of a young person. And then the third was he constructed a wall, okay? Now, each of these moments when it was happening, as it happened and after it happened, Prophet Musa, peace be upon him, was stunned and confused. Like, what is going on? Why would you damage someone's boat? Why would you take the life of anyone, let alone a, a young person, a small a child? And the third, I'm sorry, my voice is gone, as you can't tell. I have two children. Uh, I don't yell at them, so I love, but you know. Dang, I just put myself in a really tough spot. Okay, so the third, the third was that, what did he do? He asked him, why would you build a wall? And not just build a wall, but you built a wall for a city, a town of people that were objectively horrible to us. Like they didn't give us anything. They didn't help us at all. Okay. Khidr, each time Musa asks this question, he tells him, I told you, you wouldn't be able to handle it. I'm doing these things. You're not able to handle it. Eventually at the very end, when Musa finally concedes and says, you know what? The third time that I ask you, you can let me go. The third time he asks, Khidr says, you're done, but I'm not going to leave you hanging. I'm going to explain to you every single rationale as to why I did what I did. The first was that what? That there was a person coming to steal. This, this king was coming to appropriate and to capture and seize these boats. And he would only capture the boats that were in good condition. And so Khidr said, by damaging this boat, I was able to save these people from being captured by this king. The second was that there was this young man, this boy who at the time appeared to be nothing, but God instructed me and told me that this boy was going to become a tyrant, an oppressor, someone that damaged and killed and hurt civilizations and people, his parents, family, friends, etc. So I took his life. And the third was that there were these two orphan children that their father left them a treasure. And even though this town was evil, the treasure was buried underneath this fallen wall. If I didn't rebuild this wall, people would have come and they would have excavated and found the treasure that was not meant for them. And they would have stolen it. So I did this. Now these three actions, the uniqueness, what the scholar of Tafsir says, <clears throat> I'm sorry guys, excuse me. Zemzem lemonade. No, it's not, I wish. That's a good idea though. When you go for Umrah, just take Gatorade packets and make Zemzem marade. We do it all the time. Okay? So each of these lessons, again, they have a different theme to them, right? The first one is its own theme. The second one is, and the third is something. And Musa he, as he's being, as these things are being explained to him, 
it becomes clear to us, the reader as well, that there are countless, right? Even though these are three, for us, there are countless moments, countless moments in life in which something happens and the apparent nature of it is one thing, but the hidden nature of it is something different. Now, what's the difference with Khidr and Musa? Musa is like you and me. Obviously, he's better than us, he's a prophet, but in terms of our humanity, we're the same, in which what? God has not given anyone in this room the knowledge of the future. If he has, see me after, right? Okay, I have some questions. No, he has not. God has not given anyone that knowledge. Musa salam shares that trait with us. He doesn't know the knowledge of the future, the unseen. So when things are happening, he responds in a way that any of us would respond. For the first two, he's shocked. And for the third one, he's kind of disappointed. Like, why would we help these people? Khidr, on the other hand, is a creation of Allah in which Allah has given him this knowledge. Allah has given him this knowledge. Not normal, by the way. Not something that you see every day. This is a unique, once in a, not lifetime, once in an existence occurrence. In order so that this story could have been preserved and taught to us that what? Every single moment in life that something happens, you have to trust that not Khidr, but the one who gave Khidr knowledge knows the reason why. And you trust that without knowing, right? The Prophet ﷺ, as he's holding his passing grandson in his hands, passing away, the young child, 16, 18 months, is, is gasping for air, passing away. In that moment, any human being losing a child or a grandchild or a young would scream out to the heavens, why me? What did I do, right? What did I do to deserve this moment? The Prophet Muhammad taught us something very important about how to handle when we don't understand why certain things are happening. He said, the eyes shed tears and the heart feels pain, but the tongue will never utter that which displeases or insults God. Which means what? You are allowed to feel as a human the uncertainty of what's happening. You're allowed to feel that. God does not tell you, don't be confused. God does not tell you, don't do this. All God asks is that at the end of that confusion, at the end of that uh, curiosity, uncertainty, you tie it up with the bow of trust, of tawakkul. That you know what? I don't know why, but what I do know is that Allah knows why. And I have enough trust in Allah to feel comfortable with that. To feel like, you know what? As long as Allah knows why, I'm okay. After Ta'if, when the Prophet ﷺ is abused and harassed and tortured, what does he say? He doesn't know why he's leaving this city abused. He has no idea what's happening. God is the one who's telling him to go and find a place to take his community. He goes and he gets hurt. Any of us in that moment would have done that. If you got up to come to hard work tonight and you got a flat tire, you'd be like, I thought I was doing something good. Right? Why does God do this to me when I'm doing something that's supposed to be good? I'm coming to a halakha, I'm coming to pray. Right? So the Prophet ﷺ is trying to build a community for his, his believers, the Muslims, and he goes to Ta'if and they reject him in like the worst way. And he stands there outside the city and the angel Jibreel comes and says, we can, we can destroy these people, we can crush these people. And the Prophet says, no, don't do it. I don't want that. Because maybe from their future generations, there might come people who believe that God is one and I am his messenger. And he, he cries to Allah and he says, oh Allah, why is this happening to me? What is going on? Who's in charge of me? But then he finishes and he says, as long as you are not upset with me, oh God, then I'm okay. I don't mind. As long as you're not upset with me. This level of trust is, is almost divine. But it's something that is being taught to us time and time again. Because as an individual, 
you will go through moments that you don't understand why they're happening. You don't understand why it's happening, right? And I see a lot of people, especially those who are a little bit maybe on the older side, that they start to nod. I actually had this reflection after class last Monday. I feel as though in my life as an imam for the past like 13 years, the people who struggle the most with the question, why are things happening, are always on the younger side of things. The older you get, you have enough demonstrations, Allah allows to show you behind the curtain why things happen, why that proposal didn't work out, why that job didn't pan out, why the move didn't happen, why the house you wanted didn't get, you didn't get the offer, all those things. As you get older, Allah gives you those like peaks behind the curtain. And after four or five of those, you're like, you know what? I don't need to see anymore. <laughs> like I trust, you know what I mean? It's only on the younger side of things that we feel like, I don't know why. There's, this doesn't make sense. Why would this, why would this happen? So whenever I do conversations and talks on like destiny and you know, free will and these things, I always notice that it's the people with gray hair, right? The wisdom of the gray hair. And they say, yeah, yeah, don't worry about it. We can move on, right? I've seen enough. I've seen enough. So that is the story of Musa and Khidr. Now, ayah number 83. The one who possesses two horns. Okay, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a nickname or it's a, it's a title given to him that's not literal, so don't worry. Right? This is a person that we know of in our books of history, the uh, There's a little bit of debate as to like who he was, but all you need to know is that he was a king, he was a leader, and he was extremely righteous, and God gave him essentially everything. God gave him provisions, God gave him power, God gave him a fortune, right? So whatever you think of like Jeff Bezos, more than that, right? Elon Musk, more than that, way more than Elon, okay? May Allah protect us. So. Ayah number 83. The Prophet here is being instructed by Allah. He's being told by Allah what? That these people are asking about Dhul Qarnayn. Do you guys remember way back when, when the surah began? What's the whole premise of the surah? Why are these four stories even here? Who remembers? Three questions. Huh? Yeah, there were questions. The Quraysh, the Meccans, are trying to disprove the prophethood of the Prophet Muhammad And so they go and they seek counsel. And who do they seek counsel from? They seek counsel from the community of Jewish people who also receive revelation. The community of Jewish people say, look, if he is in fact receiving revelation from God, then ask him about these three stories. These are three stories that we know about from our tradition, from our books. Ask him if he knows. So they go back to the Prophet and they ask him about these stories. Right? One of them is the story of Dhul Qarnayn. So Allah now is responding and he says, Yes, They ask you about this person, Dhul Qarnayn. So tell them that I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to tell you his story. Okay? Number one, why is this verse important? You guys ever get asked questions by people about Islam? Yes or no? Yes. Okay. Go back to Islam. You guys ever get that? Right? Okay. Uh, are you Islam? Right? So there's a lot of that. You guys, you guys ask questions. Why do you do this? Why don't you do that? What does this mean? What does that mean? Right? How many of you have ever been asked a question and you don't know the answer? Come on, guys. Everyone after class is like, I need your help. <laughs> right? So I know it's more than that. You've been asked a question by a neighbor, coworker, friend, classmate, whatever, and you don't know the answer. Yes or no? You've been there. Okay. How many of you, when you don't know the answer, you realize it? Panic starts to set in. 
Anyone? Heart rate goes up, pupils dilate a little bit, start sweating in all kinds of weird places, right? It's like, oh God, right? And your concern is like compounded because not only do you, do you feel like in that moment, like, oh my gosh, I wish I paid attention in Sunday school, like Edith Bataz, all I remember. <laughs> and then you got, you know, the, 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 the pressure of like being the other and then Islamophobia and like we're the reason that everyone takes their shoes off when they travel and just all this stuff. And you feel in that moment, like if I don't answer this, and if I don't answer it perfectly, then the whole, the, the, the destiny of the Ummah is on my shoulders, right? It's interesting because in this way, the Prophet Muhammad like also felt this experience. He did. They were asking him constantly. They were testing him, and they were doing it publicly. And I want you to understand that when he didn't answer, right, they interpreted it and they used it as a mockery that you don't know. Like if you were really a prophet, you would know instantly, right? Because we create our own logical rules to decide if truth is truth or not. So they said, hey, tell us about this guy, and he said, okay, God is going to reveal to me and I'll have an answer for you tomorrow. And he didn't say what? Inshallah. Remember that whole lesson is done. But he said that. Now when he comes back the next day and day after and day after and day after, these people say, what? You said that God was going to give you the answer and you didn't come back with one. This must mean that you are not telling the truth. You're not really a prophet. Can you imagine, right, the feeling of failure that he felt? The disappointment? Obviously, he knows that God will not let him fail. But at the same time, you can appreciate that in that moment, maybe you're in the break room. Maybe it's like on a Zoom chat now. I don't know. Maybe it's, you know, and someone goes, hey, what is it with Islam and like this whole thing about, you know, X, Y, Z, A, B, C, like these maidens of paradise and whatnot. Like 72, what? What is that all about, right? And you're just like, oh my goodness, how do I even begin to explain? I don't even know the answer to this. In that moment, Allah is instructing the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi here and us to tell us that it is okay in that moment to say what? I don't know. It's okay. Like you don't have to be Encyclopedia Britannica. You don't have to be like the reference of all Islam everywhere. If somebody tells you like, hey, I read or I saw on Reddit, Neil deGrasse Tyson told me that Islam is this or whatever. That's a, that's a bit of a stretch about that joke. If you know, then you know, right? Okay, or Bill Maher said this about Muslims in Islam, right? And Ben Affleck, Allah came to our came to our aid, right? And was basically destroying this guy for being such a bigot. And you're like, but what was he saying? Was he was was it true? And you don't know, right? Anyone ever asked you about a verse in the Quran you never heard it before, or a hadith? And you're teaches on Monday nights and he's going to respond in six months, <laughs> right? <laughs> He'll never get back to me, but that's okay, right? And then if you're patient, right, you turn to Khidr in that moment. When they ask you that, you won't be able to deal with it. You won't be able to handle it, right? You won't be able to handle the procrastination of this guy that teaches us on Monday night. You won't be able to handle it, right? Maybe I'm just hithering all of you, right? Or I'm just bad. Okay. So Allah tells, and then when it's time to engage, when you have the knowledge, when you have gained the ability to articulate that, then he tells the Prophet, now is your chance, now is your time to tell them, I will tell you. Okay? Allah Ta'ala says, Allah is setting the stage. Who is this guy? Allah says, we established him in the land. We made him the leader. He's absolutely a person who's in charge, an authority. 
And we gave him every provision. Okay, what does this sound like this guy is? How would you describe a person who has position and provision? Everything. Privileged, okay. Maybe like a, yeah, a little less woke description maybe. What do you say? Powerful. He's powerful, right? And when people are powerful, don't we think of our own descriptions of them? Typically, is a powerful person like good or bad? Typically, why? Because power corrupts and absolute power corrupts. Absolutely, right? So this is a, again, that's not necessarily a fact. It's an opinion. It's an assessment. Philosophical, right? Debatable. But we do agree that when a person is in charge, they can be corrupted. Is that true? All right, all of you are thinking of your direct report. You're like, yes, right? Your supervisor. No, it happens. You know, and this is something that's very interesting. A lot of you maybe just checked out right now. You're like, you know what? I'm not in charge of anything. This public is a waste of time. Should I have more lemonade? <laughs> Every person in here is in fact a leader. The Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said, Kullukum All of you are shepherds. Wa kullukum mas'ulun an ra'itihi. All of you will be asked about your flock. Now some of you, your flock is not what you're thinking of. Like for some of you, you might be a specific leader of like your friends group. Maybe you're the one who knows how to do something in your friends group. Maybe you're like the photographer, right? Maybe you're a leader at your work, like you're a leader of your team. Maybe you have younger siblings. Maybe there's a cousin that looks up to you. Maybe you have, who knows? Maybe you're just a leader in your household. Every single person in this room, the Prophet Sallallahu said it, all of you at some point or another are going to step onto the pedestal and the mantle of leadership. And so no one can ignore this conversation about being a leader because you either are one or you will be one, right? Every single person in this room, to some degree, will have power and authority over someone else. This is a fact, okay? Even if it's something as simple as you're going somewhere and someone is serving you. In that relationship, for that moment of time, the person handing you a drink on the plane, you are in a position of power. You're the one with authority. They're the ones who are serving you. You have the leverage. You're the one who asks if you want ginger ale on the airplane. And the answer is yes, because that's all you should drink on an airplane. It just tastes better, okay? So Allah is describing this person to us. And he says he has everything he wants. Now, power leads to maybe corruption. But what else does it lead to? Guys, if I told you that you had all the money in the world, all the status in the world, what was the first thing you would do tomorrow? Quit. Very good, Sarah. She goes, quit. Right? Quit what? Everything. Every, you name it, I'm quitting it, okay? Definitely. How many of you would say working? You had all the money in the world, all the power. Would you work? Okay, would you work at the job you're working at now? Okay, there we go, right? You might do some like, like Habitat for Humanity, PETA type stuff, right? Passion projects, right? Everyone here opens up a coffee shop because we're all hipsters, right? You would do something, okay? But you definitely would not do what you didn't want to do. True or false? Absolutely true. Okay, it's a fun exercise sometimes, right? If, if someone promised you $10 million a year and they said you have to pick a career, not, you have to pick a career, could be anything, ask yourself, what would it be? And you'll find out that uh, you've been indoctrinated by your parents. Okay, so, <laughs> to be something simple. But not all passion projects pan out, so be careful. Sometimes hobbies should stay hobbies. But Allah is describing this person. Why is he describing this person? God, I really can't hit that. I know. <clears throat> Why is he describing this person? Why is he describing this person in this way? <clears throat> so that we can understand 
So stop laughing, me. So, <laughs> so that we can understand and appreciate what we're about to witness from him. Okay, Allah is setting the scene for us. He's like, I'm talking about a person that has been given everything a human can want, power and provision. Now let's learn about him. One verse, eighty-five, three words. He has everything, so he started to take a course. He started to move. It's interesting, because when you think about being given everything you ever wanted, the first description that I would give myself is, I get to take a day off. Right? I don't have to go. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to do this. I don't have to do that. I always say, if I ever make it rich, inshallah, the first thing I'm hiring is a chef. <laughs> Not because I don't like cooking, but because chefs are just amazing, and it's an ultimate flex. I don't want a big house, I just want a chef, okay? People would stop doing what otherwise they would have to do. You wouldn't get up and do your laundry, you'd probably pay someone to do that, you wouldn't cook, you wouldn't clean, you wouldn't do anything. You would chill, right? Ask yourself, what do you do on payday? When you're getting paid every two weeks, do you really hustle at work? And now you're like, I'm good, right? Today is boba day, right? <laughs> On the way home, I get to pick up something nice for me. Treat yourself. Because why? Because provision, it can sometimes, even temporarily, it can engender a little bit of laziness, negligence, right? Allah describes him and says, no. We gave him provision, and he started hustling. He kept working. He kept doing his job. His job was that he was somebody like Khidr that was given a mission by Allah to live according to the divine principles of faith and to teach people and to serve people. So even though he's powerful and rich, he still goes out and serves people and does things for people. His job was to travel across the world as far as he could and find people and do what he could to engage them in a way that was virtuous. And he goes out there and does it, right? So the number one thing that we should be careful of is that when God gives you provision, don't let that provision take you away from God. The number one dua we should make, if you ever get something good in your life, if you ever get something good in your life, ask Allah, oh Allah, don't make this something that distracts me from you. Make this something that connects me to you. If you give me a nice place to live, or a good job, or a car, or clothes, don't make this thing you've given me punishment. Right? Because what we get from God can either be blessing or punishment. Not at that moment, but after we use it. If the house that I live in, my focus is decorating and furnishing and making it aesthetic and posting about it, and I don't pray in that house. You know, the Prophet he compared a house that people don't pray to graveyards. He said, don't make your house like the grave. Number one, because we can't pray at graveyards. But number two, because everyone in the grave is dead. If a person doesn't pray, it's almost as if the Prophet is saying, what's the difference between a person who doesn't pray and a person who's dead? It's like no difference, right? Because your function on this earth is to pray. Your purpose of being here is to worship God. If a person doesn't worship, then what are they, what are they adding to the universe, right? What are they adding to the cosmos? So number one is that Allah is telling us, this person who's been given anything, everything did not forget about Allah. Ask yourself, what is your spiritual response when Allah provides for you. We beg and pray and make dua. And when Allah gives us that thing that we've been asking for, what's our initial response? Right? 
And this is something that's very difficult, but it's something that has to be mastered. And this is something that the Quran was known for. That until he reached the setting point of the sun, and Allah described it. You guys ever seen like a, a sunset on a lake before? Okay, you ever been to like a nice like body of water? And you've seen the sun. What does it look like? It looks like the sun's going into what? Into the water. So that's what Allah is describing. Until he reached the setting point of the sun, and it appeared to be hit, to be setting into the water. So this is like he traveled a long time. He started in the morning, and he traveled all day long from 7 to 7, right? Fedra to Maghrib, dawn to Maghrib. 12 hours he was traveling. And he found some people. And uh, he, it said, وَوَجَدَ عِنْدَهَا قَوْمًا قُلْنَا يَا ذُو الْقَرْنَيْنِ إِمَّا أَن تُعَذِّبَ Allah told the Qarnain, here's your first test. You found these people. The Qarnain, you're the powerful one. You're the one that has everything. Up to you. You can either punish them and give them consequences, or you can treat them well. It's your choice. Right? And these people, the tafsir says, they were not a particularly good people. Right? If you looked at them, they weren't like the most virtuous. So he's telling them, you can either be tough on them and give them consequences, or you can be good to them. Which one will you do? Which one would you guys do? Be good to them. Be good, mashallah. <laughs> right, thumbs up. Be good to them. Roots, Monday night. Come down, right? Okay? How many of us have been taught that like might is right? You guys ever run a camp before? Anyone here like a youth camp counselor? Try being good to them on the first day. You're going to be waking up wrapped in saran wrap. Right? There's a, there's a principle, not only... In like youth camp leadership, right? May Allah save us, man, from that, right? Those of you who do it, you're the real ones, okay? There's a principle in management. There's a principle in parenting, right? That might is right. Authority works. You guys know what I'm talking about now? You kind of figuring this out? Okay, how many of your parents regularly told you, your fathers told you, I love you? How many of your parents regularly or coincidentally apologized to you? When they made a mistake. Okay? You know why? Can I tell you why? Before we all break out into tears, because we all realize that we're going <laughs> This is why I can't feel, right? You know why? I'll tell you why. Because I used to do parenting sessions. I used to sit with parents a lot. And I used to tell them things like this. You know what? If you make a mistake, apologize. And you know what they would say? And again, it wasn't that they were evil. Alright? They didn't all go to Slytherin. I told them... You should do this. You know what they said? They said, we are afraid that if we show that, they'll see it as weakness. Right? They'll see it as weakness. So I need to maintain the authority in the house. And even if I'm wrong, I can't admit it. So what do I do? Slice up a plate of fruit and drop it off quietly. <laughs> That's the apology. Right? Or I look at them and say, how are you? Right? Engage. It's interesting. SubhanAllah, right? Might is right. This is something that we learn is not from our tradition. The Prophet Sallallahu I mean, I just told the story of Taif, was literally given permission by the angel of the mountains to crush these people into oblivion after they stoned him, pelted him, caused him to bleed profusely. What does he say? Don't do it. Don't do it. There were people in Medina, known hypocrites. You know what a hypocrite is? In Medina, uh, like we're talking about a, a munafiq, not like an a English translation. A hypocrite is someone who's pretending to be Muslim so, but trying at the same time to sabotage the Muslim community. Okay? So you know how we talk about like informants? 
who I definitely know you're in here right now, but you know how we talk about like informant, like people who are in the gathering, they appear to be Muslim, they're moving like a Muslim, right? But they are working for the FBI. You guys remember that happened a few months ago? We found out in the community there was someone that was like feeding information to like, you guys remember that? Not here, not here, relax, relax. <laughs> Chill out, it was somewhere else. I don't know if you guys remember this. It was in a different state. Remember that? Yeah, it was like care if or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it wasn't. Yeah, it was. It was one of somebody who worked for an Islamic organization, and they were. It's okay. This guy's like, I know him. I know his address. Let's go. I got eggs. Let's get to work. We're not making omelets, right? So, this guy was found out, and this is again. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not pro. I'm not proclaiming. He's Munafik. I'm not. But that is a description of what the hypocrites of Medina would do. They would show up to the masjid, they would grow out their beards nice and long, they would get close to the Prophet so said, oh yeah. But then they would meet with each other and they would sell out the Muslims to Quraysh. When there was a treaty, right, with them and the Muslims, they would be the ones that would be the first ones to abandon it. When the Quraysh came and surrounded the Muslims during the Battle of the Trench, they were the ones that tried to manipulate the borders to let them in to attack them. So again, appearing to be one way, but not really being that way. Okay, so when this was told to the Prophet that the companions were like, we know, like it's so obvious, it's so clear that these people are trying to destroy us from the inside. You know what he said? They said, why don't you, they asked the Prophet, why don't you execute them? We know who they are. And in fact, Allah even revealed to the Prophet who some of them were by name. And he, he told one of the companions the list of who the names were. And every companion ran to that companion to tell me my on the list. Omar one time kept asking so much that the companion said, if you ask me again, right? You're not on the list, I'm telling you, stop asking me, right? Because they were so worried. You know what the Prophet said when they said, why don't you just kill him? Might is right, right? Foot on the throat, make an example out of them. The Prophet said, I don't want them to say about me that Muhammad killed his companions. Later on in history, when people look back and they see that I executed this person, they weren't here to see the treachery they were doing. I don't want them to say about me that Muhammad killed his companions. Might is not right. It's necessary, but it's exceptionally necessary. The default of the believer is gentleness. Lutf, rifq. A group of people one time were walking by the Prophet Assalamu alaikum ya Rasulullah. May death be upon you. They weren't Muslim. May death be upon you. They thought they were funny. His wife Aisha was right next to him. And the Prophet just looks at them, casual, and he said, uh, you know, kind of like, did I hear what I thought I heard? And he's like, uh, wa alaykum. Which means like, whatever you, what, I mean, whatever you said to me, right, it's, it's going to bounce off me and go back to you now. So I hope for your sake that it was good. Right? Kind of like just a very like casual way of, and his wife, Aisha, she says, wa alaykum sam. Right? May God's curse be upon you. May He destroy you and flatten you and crush you. Right? Try to mess with my husband. Right? The Prophet of God. In that moment, like any husband would be like, this is the one. Like, this is absolutely the one. Double the matter. Like, we, you know, retroactive doubling. Whatever I, whatever I paid, whatever I gave to you as a gift. You're worth so much more. <laughs> defending you, you're like, yes. It's like, be it, right? You know what he says? He looks at her and he says, relax. 
And she looks at him and she says, like, you didn't hear what they said? She thought, like, why are you telling me relax? <laughs> and he says, You can't lose your gentleness. Allah is gentle and he loves gentleness. So she asked him, she says, you didn't hear what they said? He says, He goes, I don't care about what they said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's irrelevant how they treat you. Your default has to be gentleness, compassion. No one's heart was ever won over by might. Right? We're in a war of hearts. You know what I'm saying? So, in this situation, Allah is giving Bulqarnayn the test. How are you going to treat these people? Are you going to punish them? Or are you going to be good to them? Bulqarnayn responds. He says, Qala, Amma man zalama, Whoever oppressed, whoever transgressed, they were tyrannical, they wronged somebody, and they're not repentant, they have to be given punishment. You can't just let the transgressors run around hurting people. Otherwise, there's no, there's no harmony in society. There's no safety. There's no peace and tranquility. You can't just let people who are guilty of crimes and hurting and you know, destroying people's lives just go off scot-free. No, that's not right. So he says, if someone And he says, And those people, trust me, my punishment compared to Allah, they're going to be returned back to God. And Allah is going to have The punishment they get here is going to be nothing compared to the punishment they get there. So Bill Karnan is saying, like, I may not be able to find everybody. If someone commits wrong, I got to hold them up to justice. But you know what's crazy? Even the justice of this life is nothing compared to the justice of the next life. And this is another lesson for us, by the way, in this large question of why does evil exist? How does Allah let people who torture and hurt and kill and destroy exist? And how does he let people who don't have any of those qualities perish? Right? And the answer is, the reality is that this life is not the ultimate rubric for what's fair. The, ju- the day of justice, the day of equality, the day of fairness is the next life. If you don't get fairness in this life, then that's par for the course. That's normal. No one here should expect, my dad, man, man, Allah bless our, our parents, man. My dad, not the most textually knowledgeable guy. He wasn't a professor, wasn't a sheikh. But my dad, when I used to come home from school, back, like, it's not fair. This teacher picks on me, right? This teacher picks on me. This teacher doesn't give me this, 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 right? As a kid. Uh, not like, this isn't reason. <laughs> you know what he would say? He would say, fair? Who promised you fair? You know what I mean? Because at Islamic school, I was the only white kid. And then at public school, I was the only half-Egyptian kid. So everywhere I went, people were like, look at that weirdo. In Islamic school, they were like, Murphy, what are you? In public school, they were like, Abdul who? I kind of never really, so I had teachers that would just make it their mission to like make my life difficult, right? As we all did, I'm sure. You know what I mean? I had a teacher one time that told me they were going to call me a different name. I'm just going to call you Charlie or something. And I was like, do it once, I dare you, right? So anyways... My dad used to say, he's like, fair? Why do you expect fair? And his lesson was, fairness, what you deserve, what you deserve in terms of justice is going to be given to you in the afterlife. If you don't get it here, you're going to get it there. If you get it here, it's extra credit. If you get it, it's going to be given to everybody there. Allah Ta'ala, Not a single person on the Day of Judgment will be oppressed. 
no one is going to be able to complain. I didn't get my right. Right? So we should pray for mercy from God. We should pray for justice for those who deserve it. Okay? So he says that. And then he says, That whoever does good, then they're going to be given the reward. And I will make their life easy. I will do my best to facilitate their affairs. What is the first lesson Dhul Qarnayn gives us? Allah tests him and says, what are you going to do with these people? What does Dhul Qarnayn teach us? He says, what are you going to do with these people? And Dhul Qarnayn says, I'm not going to answer one way. I'm going to give two answers. Whoever does wrong and is not repentant, they're going to get it. Whoever does right and tries, they're going to get rewarded and treated well. What is the first lesson of being a person of power and leadership? Justice, fairness. Okay, what else? What did you learn from that? Let's reflect. Maybe giving a second chance, sure. Responsibility. Responsibility. Have you guys ever seen someone that didn't uphold their amana, their trust? Right, they were supposed to do something and they didn't. How many of you guys hated when you were in school and one person did something wrong and everyone got punished? You guys remember that? How many of you were that person? You're like, I didn't mind, right? <laughs> Misery loves company, right? You're like, we all kind of deserved it, right? <laughs> Behavior is really an ecosystem, right? No, enough, we don't blame others. That actually, by the way, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a licensed educator, secondary education, that's my undergrad degree. There are numerous studies that show that that does not work. Because it's all rooted in peer pressure. It's all rooted in the fact that if Abdurrahman keeps acting up, everyone's getting their recess taken away. So everyone looks at me, and what have I just gotten? Attention, which is exactly what I wanted in the first place. Right? As a Batamese Badmash kid, right? As a Jashi Hayawan, like my mom used to. Never mind. So, listen. So, that idea of one person makes a mistake, everyone gets punished, is not something. You have to be principled in how you engage with people as a leader. You cannot punish everybody for the sake of expediency. You cannot ignore justice for the sake of expediency. If someone made a mistake, you have to hold it to account. But you also don't make it personal, but you have to deal with it. And if someone did right and they tried, you have to make sure you recognize that. You have to make sure you do that. Otherwise, your leadership, your responsibility, your amana is at risk. Your relationships, forget leadership, your relationship is at risk. If you're friends with people and some friends right, are doing something that's annoying you, but the other friends in the group are not, don't ghost everybody. If one person in the group made you upset, don't ghost everybody, make everyone feel guilty. That's not right. <clears throat> that's not right. <laughs> Be a mature, spiritually refined adult and address the one who did wrong without punishing the ones who didn't do wrong. You know what I mean? Be able to filter that, okay? He continued, until he reached the rising point of the sun. So he traveled around the earth, and he reached the rising point of the sun. That he found a people that had no shelter. Allah is describing a people that were destitute, that were vulnerable, that were weak. What's one description of people that are powerful when they come across people who are in need? What might they do? Hmm? 
What happens if you guys need some work done and the person who comes to you says, you know what, I can't pay my bills. I, I have no groceries, I have no rent. And you are the one who's hiring them to work. Do you guys offer them top dollar? You're like, sweet. I just got a discount. Because if a person needs help and is asking someone else for help, who has all the leverage? The one who's being asked. The Karnain is all powerful, right? From what God has given him. He has all the provisions from what God has given him. And he comes across now a group of people that have no power. What does he do? What does he do? What do you guys think he should do? Do you treat people based on their what they can do for you? No. You treat people based on their ability to repay you? No, we treat people based on what? On virtuous character. You know, this is something that's really, really important. And you know where this is really important for everybody? In places like the marketplace. Allah actually despises the person who bargains to the point of breaking down the mental health of the person they're buying from. I've seen this. And we take a lot of pride in this. Oh, I'm so good at bargaining. I make them cry. That's dangerous. That's really, really... I'm, I'm worried about your kids. Like, I'm worried about people, anyone who has a relationship with you. I was once with somebody who literally was shopping for something overseas and just worked the guy so hard. I'm talking like... And this guy, by the way, drives very nice cars, lives in a very nice house, doesn't need to bargain. But there's just a weird, like, bargaining... You know hunting for sport? Hunting for sports haram in Islam, by the way. You can't hunt an animal for no reason, right? Shopping for sports kind of on that path. People who don't need stuff, but they just love to make people squirm when they find a deal. And this guy, I saw it with my own eyes. He took the garment, they were arguing over a thob. Okay? Probably doesn't even wear it anymore. He asked the guy, the guy's like 50, 50 this, 50 reals. And he's like 20. And the guy's like, you know, bit his finger. You know what that means in, in, in Arab culture? Bit, biting your finger. Anyone know you never seen that before? He was like, I want to end myself right now. Like, how could you say 20? Right? It's so, it's so, and the guy goes, yeah, 20. And he goes, 40. And he goes, 20. And then you could tell the guy, there was a point where he's like, I need this money. And he's like, I don't know if playing hardball so he says, fine, 20, and then he starts cursing him, and this and this and this, right? And the guy's walking by, he's like, I don't want, right? And then the guy's wife behind him goes and slips him to 30. Because she actually has like a hard cold, right? And she went, that behavior, and the guy, mashallah, he's improved since then, you know, I to give him a little talk. <laughs> hey, can't do that, you know, like, I don't want to be friends with him anymore. Uh, you know. And mashallah, he got, but again, it's not even his fault because this is praiseworthy behavior in some cultures. This is praiseworthy, right? When we find someone who is in need, it is not from Islam to exploit someone's needs. Let me tell you one hadith. The Prophet said that the upper hand is better than the lower hand. You guys heard that one? You guys heard this? It's a hadith of the Prophet. What does this hadith usually mean? What does that mean? Does it mean like when I'm giving salam, like approach from the top? Right? What does it mean? Taller people are just better? Right? I like that one. What does it mean? That's not what it means. Al-yad al-ulya khayrun min al-yad al-sufla. What does that mean? Yeah, that's one. The one who gives is, you know, it's appreciated to give, to give in someone's hand, like charity and Very good. One of the interpretations of this hadith is that the one who gives, 
okay, the one who gives, is better than the one who receives. Okay? You know what's interesting, subhanAllah? Shaykh Abdul Nasser, I read this hadith with him, and he like paused. And he was like, you know, this interpretation is too limiting. It's too limiting. Why would the Prophet ﷺ just say that someone who's receiving is not as good as someone who's giving? He didn't, he's like, that, that doesn't sound completely accurate according to the Islamic worldview. We don't just celebrate someone who gives charity and say that, oh, you receive charity? B minus, right? In life. No. He said, one of my teachers explained this hadith to me, and he explained it in a way that's so beautiful and it doesn't have any contradiction. He said, when the Prophet said, He said that when you approach someone who is asking for something, you dignify them, and instead of handing the money down, you hand it like this as if you're the one that's begging for them to take it. Because then he says, You made them better. You said, I need you to take this for me. Otherwise, I'm going to be addicted to money. Otherwise, I'm going to see myself as better than people who are in need. Otherwise, I'm going to have all these financially associated diseases of the heart. So please, for God's sake, take this money from me. He says, this is what the hadith is talking about. When you want to ennoble somebody, make someone dignified, you say what? Put your hand on top. Please help me. This is why Aisha, what she used to do, when she used to give salakah, she used to give charity, you know what she would do? She would perfume it. She would perfume it as a way of dignifying the act of charity. How many of us, when it comes to donating clothes, what do we do? Head straight to the back of the closet. What don't we like anymore? What don't we like? What doesn't fit? What's out of fashion? What's, out of, what's, what's off trend? Right? We pick the stuff we don't want and then we put it in a garbage bag. Do you understand the psychological imagery of that? We put clothes that we're donating in garbage bags. Why? Because to us it's trash. And we say, this is for you. Wear my trash. Instead of washing it, perfuming it, folding it, putting it in those really nice cardboard bags that they give you at North Park. <laughs> Carrying it over and handing it to people who are in need as if they have dignity because they do. When we engage with people that haven't been given what we have, there's no reason for us to feel a sense of superiority. In fact, in this moment, what does Allah say? You ready? This is super powerful. Allah says that you're engaging with people. Allah Ta'ala says, لَمْ We didn't give them anything. And now the Qur'an is stepping up to these people who are in need. You can imagine them begging, asking for help. And Allah says, كَذَلِكَ In that moment, وَقَدْ أَحَطْنَا بِمَا لَدَيْهِ خُبْرًا Don't forget the Qur'an. Allah knows everything that you're going to do. Allah knows how you're going to treat that situation. Are you going to exploit the person that needs the money? Are you going to make them wish that they never engaged with you, but they need to feed themselves so badly that they gave you a price that was so ridiculous, but they need it because a dollar is better than none? Or are you going to honor that person and dignify them the way that the Prophet ﷺ did? There was a man who once came to the Prophet ﷺ and he said, Ya Muhammad, which is how you knew he was a Bedouin. If you don't know what Bedouin is, imagine someone from Denton. Very good, okay? <laughs> 
says, Ya Muhammad. He says, give me, give me money. Give me money. All the companions are like, is this dude for real? He just walks up and says, give me money. And he says, Ya Muhammad. No one said Ya Muhammad by his first name. Ya Rasulullah. Right? Oh, messenger of God. So the Prophet gives him some money. He looks down and he says, oh, they said you were generous. Can you imagine? He said, that's it. Man, the word on the street is that you were generous. All right, I guess. You can imagine how quickly Ahmad grabs his sword. Omar's <laughs> like, guys, prepare a grave. <laughs> Get your shovels. You know what I mean? Like, he's like, no, what is this person? How do you come up and ask for money? He gives you a bag of silver and gold coins, and you look and you say, wait, oh, wait a minute. Where's the rest? They said you were generous. The Prophet Sallallahu says, come with me quickly. <laughs> Takes him inside. And he gives him more and more and more. And he goes, is this enough? And the guy goes, yes. This is what I was talking about. He goes, are you happy now? He goes, I'm happy now. They come outside the house together. And everyone's like, they want to jump this dude. And the Prophet comes out with him and they're both smiling. And he says, he looks around at everybody. And he says, I gave him what he wanted. And this man makes dua. Right? He makes dua for the Prophet and himself, and he leaves out everyone else. And he heads out. And the Prophet looks at the companions and he said, that man in that state was like a scared animal. And instead of giving him what he needed, what he came here for, all of you were about to humiliate and punish him for a mistake that he made. This is our messenger. This is our prophet. Like This is who we're supposed to be acting like. A lot of us wonder, like, why doesn't this Islam thing work in my life so much? Well, we got to look at these stories and we have to try, at least try to replicate that. We have to do our best. Okay? So Allah is reminding him. All right, the last one, that will be done, I promise. You know what? We'll save this for next week, inshallah. It's too long. It's too long. This one is amazing. This one is incredible, subhanAllah. It is so amazing, subhanAllah. Next week, if Allah gives us life. We ask Allah Ta'ala to allow us to benefit from these lessons. We ask Allah Subhanahu wa Ta'ala to bless everyone in this room, everyone in this gathering. We ask God to keep us on his path of guidance and the path of virtue and piety and good character. We ask Allah to allow us to refine ourselves, to become the best version of ourselves so that we can be examples of the life of our Messenger Muhammad Sallallahu We ask Allah to forgive us for our shortcomings and to give us lessons that we learn from them that we don't repeat them. Amin, amin, ya rabbil alameen. Subhanakallahum, bihamdik, nashadu an la ilaha illa anta nastaghfirullahu Anyone have any questions before we wrap up, inshallah? I know it's getting a little late, so I'm trying to wrap up, yeah. So, how did Khidr get, like, did he have some sort of uh, revelation to help understand? So how did Khidr get that knowledge? So there's different, in, in the study of our Ulum al-Quran, there is a, there is, an, which is the science of the Quran, there's a different discussion about revelation from God. And basically, the short answer is, there are many forms of revelation from God. The one that we are most accustomed to is Wahi, because it's Quranic revelation. Al-Wahi uh, al-Matlu, more specifically, the recited revelation. But there are other forms of revelation that God has given, and He tells us about them in the Quran. One of them, for everybody, for an example, is the mother of Musa. When Musa was born, God inspired to her to do what with him? Put him in the basket, put him in the river. That was an inspiration. That was technically 
what we call wahi or ihab, right? God inspired her. Allah even inspires the bees, by the way. Bees are divinely guided creatures. Allah Ta'ala says that what? We to inspire the bees. Right? So there are forms of revelation that God gives to creatures uh, that are not Quranic revelation, but they are moments of inspiration. Um, it's, you know, and there's lesser degrees of it, like ilham and fahm and things like that, that people, you know, we call them, uh, what's, the, what's the word? Like, you know, the eureka moments, right? But maybe it's Allah just giving you, you guys ever remembered something all of a sudden that was really important? Could have been that God gave you that. Now, you're not a prophet, be careful, right? But you do sometimes benefit from this kind of uh, knowledge being given to you. Right? Not like Khidr. So Khidr had a very special, special, specific knowledge for him. Allah. Anyone else? And Mosley. We had to switch the times because Maghrib was more important than whatever I can say. So, Okay? Alright, y'all. Back off. Inshallah. We'll see you next week. Salaam alaikum.